morning, Brookside. Great to see all of you um, here today. Um, hey, just want to say to you, great job, Eli. It's good to have you leading today. And um, yeah, thank you, all of you, for um, just engaging in worship. You know, we worship such a good God. And so it's just a privilege uh, to be able to, to be together here this morning. I want to start today by celebrating a couple things that God has been doing in our midst these last several weeks. And uh, it has been so fun to think about the last two weeks with our Stacking Hands events and the two Sundays and the Wednesday that was in between and just hearing stories about how God is stirring in the hearts of people. It's so fun to see how our mission of helping people find and follow Jesus is taking root, not only here in our city by how we're able to be a blessing and people are finding Jesus Christ, but literally around the world. And so it is just a, a privilege the last two weeks have been. And so just want to say thank you to you. Um, we One, we just don't take it lightly when God is moving in our midst, and we want to pause and just thank God for that, and uh, it's just huge. But also want to say thank you to you. Thank you for participating. Um, thank you for your continued generosity when you when you give, um, you're impacting eternity, you're impacting lives, not just for the here and now, but for all of eternity. And so I um, also just want to say thanks to John Alford. He did a phenomenal job of just organizing those and all of our key volunteers that make it happen. And so if you see John uh, this morning, I would encourage you, give him a big hug. He loves that. Um, just especially if you don't know him very well, just really embrace him. He, he'll, I'll pay for that. But yeah. I also want to take a moment here and uh, just uh, compliment uh, someone that's uh, fairly new to our team. His name's Cody Jones. And uh, Cody um, uh, really grew up here, did ministry in our student ministries and was a part of that and uh, was an intern and now is on our staff. And uh, Cody does a phenomenal job. And it's so fun to see how God raises up the next generation to do great works for God. And so Cody's an example of that. And uh, the video that you just saw and the ones that you've been seeing in the last several weeks, uh, those are produced by him, and uh, he just does, uh, just does a great job. So I also want to mention before first service, at least, he was still single. So um, $20 he paid me for saying that. But lastly, I just want to say that it, as we experience the grace of God in this place and as we continue to see God at work, um, I just want to say for us, it just makes us more and more excited about what is coming in the fall as we continue to press into God. We believe that God has a bold vision for Brookside, um, that we would continue to be a huge blessing to our city, that God would use us in significant ways. And so I would encourage you, be praying along those lines for our church as we head into the fall and you'll be hearing more about that. But just God has exciting things and, and we want to be, be right in line and right in part of what he's doing. So, well, this morning we're starting a, a three-part series, as Eli said, and uh, as I thought about this series and preparing for this morning, um, I really believe that this is going to be very beneficial for our church on a very, just a very practical level. I think it's going to meet a lot of people right where, right where they're at. And so would you pray with me this morning? And let's just ask God to take not only this week, but these next two weeks, the, the, the whole package, all three weeks, and to use them in a significant way. So would you join me in, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, First, we just want to say thank you for this morning. Um, thank you for the fact that, Lord, you meet us in this place, that you know us by name. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in here. Lord, we, we, um, we are just awed, and we are so thankful that the Spirit of God is changing lives. And so, God, we just say we want to continue to press into you and to, to uh, expect and to long for you to do great works among us. 
And Lord, this morning, that is no exception. And so we would pray now for this series. We pray for this morning. And Lord, we just want to say with you, to you with open hearts, we just want to say, Lord, would you do a great work in me this morning? Would you do a great work in Brookside this morning? And so I just want to give you a second and just kind of personalize that prayer, but just say, it might be a first prayer for you, just say to the Lord, Lord, would you do a work in me this morning? So go ahead and do that just on your own. Heavenly Father, I thank you that when we pray things like that, you, uh, you hear them and you honor them, and um, that's just such a privilege for us. It gives us such great confidence to approach you. So um, thanks for that reality, and uh, we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, our new series is, is called Repurposed, and um, this series, is, it's going to explore the reality that God can take something that might seem kind of in despair, that God can take a situation that might seem pretty bleak, something that maybe you would say is really hard, and we're going to see how God can repurpose it, how God can take that and he can redeem it into to something that is great. This whole idea of repurposing, it's actually pretty trendy these days. People are uh, repurposing things. They're taking things that were once old and, and, and they were even seen as useless, and they're making them into something that is, that is great, even, maybe even has a better purpose now than it did before. Um, I saw one line of clothing recently that they've taken old World War II um, military uniforms and they're turning them into to bags and different garments that are being sold for lots of money. Um, uh, it's, uh, uh, it, it, it's very appealing to people, this idea of taking something old, taking something rugged, taking something that maybe seems like it's not of no use and repurposing it. Um, old barn wood, for instance. Um, if you have an old barn, uh, don't burn it down. Um, right now, right here in Omaha, you can get uh, reclaimed wood from old barns, and it's selling for $20 to $40 a, a linear foot. Uh, lots of money in that, right? This idea of taking something old and repurposing it for something new. Uh, I was at a restaurant recently in town and looked out in their courtyard and they had taken these pallets and they had taken these wood, old wood pallets and they had, they're now using them as, as planters. Um, you've heard of, of pallet art probably. You can make about anything out of a pallet. People are using it for furniture, to make tables, to make set designs, you name it. You can take it and you can repurpose it um, for something that's even better. Uh, when we look at the scriptures this morning, and you'll see this even when you're reading through the, the scriptures on your own, we see that God doesn't just repurpose stuff. We see that God has been in the business of repurposing for all of history, that God takes a person's life, real people, and he takes their circumstance, and he might not even change their circumstance, but God might change a person's perspective, which changes everything. God takes the bleakest of situations and he brings hope to them. God takes like our, maybe you would say, wow, I just feel like I've, had, I've been in, kind of living in a storm day after day after day and there's been no glimmer of sunshine that's, that has come or looks like is coming. God can take even that situation, may not touch the circumstances, but he changes the perspective and he brings this incredible hope. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like this? Have you ever felt like your back's against the wall? Have you ever felt like you've been in a situation where there's just no good way out? Like you're asking questions like, whoa, I, how, did I, how, did I, how did I get here? I mean, you're in a trial. You, you don't see that there's any good way out. One pastor uh, I, I recently heard, he, 
he said, either you've just gone through a trial, either you're in the middle of a trial, or you're about to go into a trial. Wah, wah, you know, I'm not the bearer of great news there. But isn't that kind of true? Life does, it kind of works that way sometimes, doesn't it? Um, let me take this even one step further. Let's say that you're in that trial, and you're, you're crying out to God in the midst of it. Your circumstance, your, your back's against the wall, and it doesn't look like things are going to turn out right, and so the way at least that you want them to. And so you cry out to God, and you're praying to God, and you're saying, God, would you please, would you change my circumstances? But instead of God answering your prayer, you don't get an answer. He doesn't. God doesn't answer your prayer the way that you think that he should. And instead, you feel like you're just hearing silence. And probably everybody can kind of think of a situation like that where you cried out to God and you said, oh, God, would you, would you, would you hear me on this? And you feel like, wow, maybe I'm just getting stonewalled here. I mean, God, are you just giving me the hand in this situation? You know, I'm, I'm seeing this go on and I'm asking you, God, would you come through? But you feel like it's just not happening. These situations are no small deal. They're not tried at all. You may have asked, you may have repeatedly begged for God to show up. Maybe you're facing an illness. Maybe it's, it's chronic pain for you. Maybe you're facing a disability and, and you've asked God or you've asked God on behalf of someone you know, Lord, would you show up in that situation? Lord, would you please bring change? Lord, I'm begging you. Maybe for you it's, it's a loss. You've experienced a loss and, and the pain, it's just reoccurring. Or maybe you experience this general sense of loneliness. And it's just not going away. For some of you, I've heard your story, and, and you, you, you struggle with a, a certain area in your life, and you just wish that you could have victory, but every time you turn around, you find that you're still struggling. And there's some, you, you overcome for a while by the grace of God, but there's still this lingering struggle. It's a burden, and it hasn't subsided and so here's the question that we're going to ask this morning, because I think we can all relate to that. What do you do when God doesn't come through like you think he should? What do you do in that situation? What do you do when the grief doesn't go away? What do you do in that situation? I think what we're going to find, and, and I think you've probably seen this yourselves, is that God sometimes comes through in ways in which we don't expect, and God sometimes takes not our desired answer as the thing that he gives us, but instead God comes along and says, no, 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 you might want that to be the outcome, but I've got something even better for you. So what do you do, though? What do you do when you're asking the question, God, are you going to do something about this? Maybe some of you, you watch the news and you just say, God, God, are you going to change that? God, I, I've been asking you for months to work in that situation. God, are you going to do anything about it? God, heal her, would you please? God, would you please bring about Mr. Right into my life? God, would you change this? And you cried out again and again. This is so personal this morning. It's so personal that some people have left the Christian faith because they, they thought, God, you should have answered my prayer like that, and so now I'm doubting it. I'm doubting it. I'm doubting my faith even. Or maybe you went through a, a, a trial or maybe you just watched someone and maybe you didn't plan on this, but as you watch them not get healed, as you watch that person continue, as you watch that situation continue to go the way that it was going that you weren't happy about, your heart became a little bit bitter. And, you, and it wasn't your initial plan, but you've noticed that over time that you're, that's kind of festered in you and your heart's gotten a little bit hard. You feel a little bitter inside. In this series, we're going to look at three stories Three different examples of people in the New Testament where this question could have been asked, God, aren't you going to? 
Um, That question could have been asked in all three of these examples. And what we're going to see this morning is this, is that that God does come through, that that God isn't far removed, that, that God isn't stonewalling anyone, but sometimes God comes through even in a greater way than what we could have even asked for or hoped for. You know, I was thinking this week, as parents, Christina and I, we say no to our three kids a lot. There, there are times where I feel like the no machine, the walking no machine. You know, I should just put a sign on my shirt that says, no, you know, can I have more ice cream? No. You know, I mean, just one thing after another, right? Now, that has nothing to do with how much we love our children. Quite the opposite, actually. This is our key um, statement for this morning. You might jot this down. Here it is. Who you find in the trial far outweighs the trial itself. Who you find in the trial far outweighs the trial itself. We've all been in seasons where things have been difficult and we've been, we felt like, wow, my back is against the wall. God, you're not answering my prayer. And we've asked that question. God, why don't you do something about this? Why don't you show up? What we're going to see this morning is that God does care deeply. God does want what is exactly best for us. And we're going to see this. It is who we find in the trial that far outweighs the trial itself. Today we're going to be looking um, at the life of of John the Baptist. And uh, we're going to see two different accounts of of his life, one through the book of Matthew and one through the book of Mark. And before we get there, though, I want to take a minute and just make sure that we're clear on who John was. Because who John was, it really frames up the significance of what we can learn from his life uh, today. So first we know this. We know that God's hand was on John from the beginning. His father, Zechariah, he was a, a priest in the temple. And, and one day when Zechariah was, was doing the things, the tasks that he had to do in the temple, it says that an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Hey, Zechariah, you and Elizabeth, Elizabeth is going to have this child. You guys have been praying for a long time. You've probably even given up on this, but you're going to have a child, and the child's name is going to be John. Now, John's going to be special. John's going to be set apart. John is going to be a blessing to many people. He's going to be a joy to you. But beyond that, the hand of the Lord is going to be upon John. He's going to be seen great in the sight of the Lord. God is going to do great things through your son. Now, we don't get a lot of descriptions uh, about John in the, in the scriptures. But the few things that we do get, <clears throat> they paint quite a picture of him. John wouldn't have been the first person to socialize at the party because John wouldn't have been at the party. John was kind of this reclusive, I live off the grid type guy out in the desert. Uh, His clothing was, was kind of weird. He wore camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist, the scriptures say, and he ate locusts and he ate uh, wild honey. I think of like Alaskan bush people, kind of this guy that's, you know, just a little bit far out. But it says this of John. That John, this is what Jesus said of him. He said, among those born of women, there is no one arisen, no one greater than John the Baptist. And so when Jesus talked about John, it wasn't a small deal. John was great in the eyes of Jesus Christ. John did not seek out the multitudes, but multitudes of people sought out John. It could be said of John also that he didn't have time, maybe much for anything that wasn't about the very purpose for which he was here. And that purpose was that John was to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. In one word, the mission of John the Baptist was this. He was a preparer. He was the forerunner. He was the one that went out in front of Jesus Christ, and he pointed people back to Christ. 
He, he was preparing the way for him. It's so interesting that the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, it speaks of the coming of, of John. And, and it says this, it says, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Now, any Hebrew who knew their Old Testament in that time would have heard that and they would have known, oh, that's talking about like a ministry like the one John the Baptist is going to deliver. He's going to be the one that's going to prepare the way for the Lord. He's coming in advance to prepare the way. Now, after those words in Malachi, we don't hear from another prophet for 400 years. There's 400 years of silence. And then one day that silence is broken by this guy named John. And what does John do? John points people directly to Jesus Christ. We know this about John. John knew his place. In 1 John, it says this. It says that John said, There is one who is coming after me, Jesus Christ, and he's far greater than me, so much so that I'm unworthy even to untie his sandals. And then in 129, it says this. It says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And, and he said, look, thinking of, looking at Jesus, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the, the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Meaning John is proclaiming, Jesus Christ is greater than me. Jesus Christ has always been. And what am I doing now? I'm just preparing the way for him. When John's followers began to see that Jesus was getting a crowd around him, that people were drawn to Jesus' teaching and his miracles, many people began to follow Jesus. And that kind of bothered John's followers for a little bit. But John made this statement. He said, that joy is mine and it is now complete. He said, he must become greater. I must become less. There's no doubt about it. John was pointing to Jesus Christ. He was a fearless preacher he urged the crowds, turn from your ways, pursue Jesus Christ. John was the one who baptized Jesus. He didn't want to. He felt unworthy, but he, he did. John was the one. He was there when God the Father said of Jesus, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. But this is the most important thing to know about John. John was the one who played a key part in God revealing himself through Jesus Christ. John was the forerunner. He prepared the way. And know this, John's allegiance to Jesus Christ was top notch. That's why Jesus thought so highly of him. That said, John's circumstances were really tough. They were very, very, very far from ideal. A person could wonder, and you may as we read through this story, a person could have wondered about John's life. God, are you stonewalling John? God, do you have something against John the Baptist? Because he's crying out to you. His back is clearly against the wall. When we get to Mark chapter 6, we're going to see this story unfold. And i got to tell you, it's quite a drama. It's Hollywood caliber. And after we look at Mark 6, then we're going to move on to chapter 11 of the book of Matthew. And, and that's where we'll, we'll really get our takeaway for this morning. And so first, though, let's look at Mark chapter 6. Let me read this to you, starting in verse 17. It says, For Herod himself... Had, had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, he's stand, John is standing up for what is right here to the king, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias, this is Herod's new wife, so Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. 
But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. Speaks of his character. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Here's the situation. Herod Antipas is one of the guy that we're reading about here, one of three sons of Herod the Great. Now, if you know anything about Herod the Great, you know that he was far from great. He was actually a terror. And his three sons followed very well into his, into his footsteps. And what's happening here is that John the Baptist has stood up for what is right, and he's publicly said, Herod, you're wrong. Herod, you, you shouldn't take your brother Philip's wife to be your wife. You can't take Herodias and do that. And so John has said, or Herod has said, okay, John, I'm going to put you in prison. I'm going to put you in prison so that you'll be quiet. And that was good enough for Herod. It says that Herod, he actually, he was very interested in John. You know what I mean? He kind of feared him even because he knew he was a righteous and holy guy. But having John in prison just to keep him quiet was not enough for Herodias. She wanted him killed. She wasn't going to settle for, for anything less than that. And so she has this anger that festers. You know what that's like? And she wanted, she waits for this opportunity then to have John killed. So this is how it plays out in verse 21. It says, finally, the opportune time came, and you can bet she was waiting for it. On his birthday, she's angry about this. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. So all the top notches are there. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. So there's this, this kind of drunken party, and now we've got this young, scandalous dancer who's arrived. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath. Now, this would have been a big oath. Think about his position of influence. This was no small oath. Whatever you ask for, I will give to you up to a half of my kingdom. And she went out and she said to her mother, well, what shall I ask for? And I bet this answer came, boom, quick. The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once, the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed. Remember what he thinks about him. But because of his oaths and because of the fact that he didn't want to lose face, before his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. And so he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went and beheaded John in prison and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. On hearing this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. That's how it ended for John. John was a victim, really a helpless victim of a crime that he didn't commit. Just this week, the 2013 Boston Marathon bombings, that sentence came out, right? This was not like that. John was not sitting in prison because he committed a crime. John was sitting in prison because he stood up for what was right. Think about that situation. He's not there because of doing anything wrong. He's there because he stood up for what was right. Imagine what he's thinking as his back's against the wall in that prison cell. And then it says this, Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. It says, when John, who was in prison, 
when he heard about the deeds of the Messiah. And so now we're kind of backtracking, and now this is John, and he's sitting in prison. These are some of the things that he's thinking about. And, and remember, you've got to remember this. Who you find in the trial far outweighs the trial itself. Here it is. So when John, he's sitting there, and he heard the deeds of, of the Messiah, he heard the deeds of Jesus. He hears what's going on in the ministry of Christ. He sent uh, his disciples to ask him, go to Jesus. Are you the one who is to come, or should I expect someone else? Key question. What do you think John's doing here? He's asking. John's wanting to know. Let me ask you, what do you do when a situation doesn't turn out the way that you think it should? What do you do when you sense that, okay, God, you took us down this path, and we felt like that was the right thing, but now our circumstances aren't looking good, and so we're starting to doubt. We're starting to wonder, what do you do in those situations? You ask questions. You want to be assured, okay, wow, we're, we're putting it out there. Lord, Lord are, you, are you the one that you said that you are? That's exactly what John is doing. John wants to be assured. He's saying, Jesus, are you really the one? Or should we be looking for another? Jesus, I imagine John saying this. Jesus, I was the one who prepared the way for you. Jesus, I was the one, and I went before you, and crowds followed me, and what did I tell them? I said, there's one coming after me. He's greater than me. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. You follow Jesus Christ. And then, Jesus, when you showed up, I pointed to you, and I said, look, the Lamb of God, the one who has the power to forgive your sins. John said, I don't have that, but, but Jesus Christ does that. John's saying, Jesus, I'm, I've been faithful to you. I think in all sincerity, John maybe was questioning in his own mind, and he was asking the question, hey, Jesus, if there ever was a time for a miracle, this would be a good time. Jesus, are you, are you going to come through? I mean, Jesus, you know what I did. Have you ever noticed this? Have you ever noticed that in times when your back is against the wall, you begin to cry out to God? Sometimes people find God in those situations. It's not a bad thing. Sometimes people begin to pray for the very first time. I think John was sitting there in that cell and he was thinking, you know what, Jesus, I'm hearing them talk about the fact that they're going to kill you. And I'm also seeing Herodias walk by and she keeps looking very, very upset with me. Jesus, are you really the one? Or should I look for another? I heard it put this way recently, that in desert experiences are often the gateway to deeper experiences with Jesus Christ. John's having a desert experience. You know, he's in that place, and his back is against the wall. But isn't it true that sometimes in those experiences, again, it's not, it's not, well, it's not so much what you find in the trial, but it's who you find. It leads to a, a, a greater, deeper experience with Jesus Christ. I was recently sitting across the table from an older pastor, and, and this guy has seen a lot of suffering in his days, his own life and in the people that he serves. And and I asked him about this whole thing of suffering, and, and he just said to me, very frankly, he said, suffering in many ways can become an incredible gift. It's hard, it's hard to hear, I think. A person right in the midst of a severe trial wrote this in her blog. She said this, it's natural for me to be asking, it's natural for our family to be asking, why me, why now? Yet through the darkest of days that we've walked and the darker days to come, my prayer will be, God, give me the wisdom not to waste all of this. 
not to just squander this desert experience, but to look to God and to say, okay, God, would you take what is hard and would you use it and lead me to a deeper experience with you through it? I had a guy approach me after first service and he said, I can hardly get out of bed in the morning because of what I'm facing. He said, I, I'm, I just have to cling to, not the circumstances of my trial, but I have to cling to the one I find in the trial, who I find in the trial. Don't waste the desert experience. Now, now, let me just say this. This doesn't minimize anyone's circumstances, but instead we look at it and we go, okay, it maximizes the strength that we can find in those circumstances. In verse 4, Jesus responds to John. He says this. Imagine John sitting in that cell. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. Talking to the disciples, go back, tell John. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear and the, the dead are raised. And the good news proclaimed to the poor. And then this is a key statement. Jesus says, blessed is the man, John. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Blessed is the one, John, who does not fall away on account of me. Now notice that, that, that Jesus doesn't come down on John. It's not as though Jesus says, John, why are you doubting? John, you've been the one that was prophesied about for years and years and years, and you prepared the way for me. You did a great job. John, you've seen my miracles. John, why are you doubting? Jesus doesn't do that at all, but he reminds John of who he is, and he says, John, blessed are you, rich in grace, rich in love. Blessed are you, John, if you don't fall away. John, blessed are you if you stay the course. John, blessed are you if you persevere. Church, blessed are you if you take one more step, if you keep going forward. Jesus was saying to him, remember who I am. John, remember, you can have hope in me. John, you remember that my perspective is much bigger than yours. You're seeing the here and now, but John, you remember, I know all of eternity. John, trust in my promises. Who you find in the trial far outweighs the trial itself. Who you find, it's huge. Circumstances may not change. You might be so frustrated with some circumstances that you face. But who you find in that place, who you find in the trial, it far outweighs those circumstances in that trial. How many of you, when your parents, when they told you something that, that you didn't understand, how many of you, you said this to them in response? You said, well, well, how come? And they said, blah, 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 blah. And you said, well, how, how come? Now, most often then, you're, whether it was your father or your mother, they said this. They said, because I'm, I'm your father. And, and then they said three words, just trust me. And notice that they, they didn't say, and your, 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 your inclination isn't to say in that situation, just trust your circumstances. It's going to play out. No, no, no. They said they drove it right back to to themselves. Just, just trust me. You're, you're mine, and I know you, and I love you. I care about you more than you know, and I might give you a few no's, but you just trust, you trust me. You look past your circumstances, and, and you just keep your eye right on me. You trust me. Blessed is the person, Jesus said to John, who does not fall away on account of me. Blessed is the one who, who stays the course. I was talking to uh, my nine-year-old last night, and I said, Aiden, will you pray for me for tomorrow? I said, you know, we're starting a new series, and I was telling him about it. I said, you know, we're going through the story of John the Baptist, and he said, oh, tell me about it again, you know. So I told him the whole story of John the Baptist, and I said, I said, at the very end of the story, 
I said, it, it, Jesus says to John the Baptist, he says, blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. And we talked about what that meant. And, and he had just been telling me about just some, just some challenges that in his, as a student that he's facing, you know, with some peers of his. And, and, I, and, and so he, he said to me after I said, you know, Jesus ends that story. I mean, John is in this situation, but Jesus says, blessed is the one who stays the course, Aiden. And he looked at me just all honesty. I just loved it. He said, but dad... It's just so hard, you know, to stay the course. And students, I just want to share that with you. You came to my mind as, as he said that. I thought, wow, students, be encouraged this morning by Jesus' interaction and his encouragement to John. Um, this was such a blessing to me. And, and this is why I just encourage you to be in the scriptures on your own. But as we read through this book of Matthew, get this, just sentences after what we read about in this passage, just sentences after Jesus says to John, blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me, we come to this passage. This is from Matthew chapter 11, verse um, 28. It says, Jesus speaking, again, just sentences after this. Jesus says, all of you, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, or he's saying basically my way, my way is easy and, and, and my burden is light. Now there's no doubt about it. When you're going through a trial, when your back is against the wall, you can turn to all sorts of things to, to try to give you relief. And the bigger the trial, the more you'll need to go to those things. And many of you, 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 know, you know where that leads. But notice what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, no, no, you come to me. You trust me. Well, I don't understand. Well, I'm your father. Just, just trust me. I know it's hard. Just, just trust me. I was talking to a gal this week who her and her family have gone through trial after trial with their 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 daughter, um, particularly around the time that she was born, continually facing one life-threatening thing after another with this little girl. Months on end in the hospital. And um, talk about your back against the wall. Um, this little girl is now five, and uh, she's doing well. She's a, just a blessing to see around here. And she just finished her seventh surgery. Um, she's going to have her eighth in August. And I thought this was pretty special, pretty cool on the perspective thing. Her mom asked her, just days after her seventh surgery, and her seventh surgery was to put a rod all the way through her femur, the whole length of her femur, and to take her bow, bone that's bowed and to break it along the way to get it straight. Now, you talk about a painful recovery, let alone for a child, right? And so this is, a, you know, shortly after the surgery, she's still in the hospital, and so her mom, Lindsay, she says to her, she says, hey, Evie, she said, what was your high today? And then tell me about your low. And she said, well, my high today was, you know, my cousins came and we went downstairs and, and I got that miniature gumball machine. That was my high today. And then she said, and no lows. Now I'm thinking, wow, I could give you a few lows, honey. You know, I mean, think about what she's gone through, right? But she said, no lows. But this was the kicker for me. This was so insightful. And this was when Things were so uncertain. They didn't know if this little girl would live. Her mom said this to me. She said there was nothing that we could do. And months after months this went on, there was nothing that we could do to help her. And that reality put us in a, here it is, a great place. 
She said, I knew that I hurt and that God hurt for me, and I knew that God was with me. And then this is what got me. She said this, those months, really now what's been years, she said this, those months it was time well spent. Not because the circumstances were a joy, not because there was quick solutions. There wasn't, it was not a time of laughter. But she was saying this, she was saying it was time well spent because of why? Because of who she found in the trial. It far outweighed the trial itself. She found Christ. And she said this, she said, I just, I knew that God loved me. And I experienced God in a way I'd never had been before. And some of you right now, you're going through a trial and you're going, oh, this is horrible. And I think Jesus would say to you this morning, blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. You stay the course. You, you, you keep going. She said she clings to verses like this, Philippians 4, 7. It says, in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, the, the peace of God, it's bigger than your understanding. So you might still question, and that's okay. God's not afraid of your questions. The, but the peace of God, it transcends it, meaning it covers it. It's over it. The peace of God transcends all of our understanding. And what does the peace of God do? It guards your heart. It protects your heart. It allows you to be the kind of person that you do stay the course. Blessed is the one who doesn't fall away on account of me. And then Lamentations chapter 3, she said this as well. She said, it says, his mercies are new every morning. And then it's this promise. It's great is his faithfulness. God, I don't know why you're doing this, but I trust that you're faithful. God, I don't enjoy my circumstances, but I trust you. The statement that she made it was, good, it was a good time. It was time well spent. That's how she said it. It was time well spent. That just grabs me. I'm thinking, it would, really, it was time well spent? But why did she say it? It's because she got Christ. Their family thrived in Christ. So what do you do? What do I do when our backs are against the wall? What do you do when God's not answering? At least the way that you think he should. Jesus said this, and Jesus knew that John would die. Jesus knew there would be no prison break. Jesus knew that John would suddenly be killed in that, right in that prison cell. But what did he say to him? Knowing the perspective of Christ, he said to them, he said, blessed are you, John. Blessed are if you just keep going. Blessed are you if you're like that guy that came up to me after first. Blessed are you if you just get up one more morning, you take one more step, you face that challenge, but you don't do it alone. You do it in Christ because who you find in the trial, what does it do? It far outweighs the trial itself. You know, I think that this three weeks is going to be um, pretty instrumental, I would think, in, in some of your circumstances. And um, what I want to do now, I just want to close and um, just pray and, um, and ask God really just to, to meet us with that reality. Because, again, what did Jesus say to him? He said, hey, blessed is the one. Doesn't give up, but perseveres. So let's do this. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning. And um, Lord, I thank you for the reality that you speak to us, Lord. I thank you for the reality that you, you meet us in this place. Lord, you are good to us. Lord, great is your faithfulness. Lord, you give us a peace that's beyond our understanding. It surpasses that. 
You guard our minds and you guard our hearts. And Lord, I just, I pray for the person here this morning that's saying, you know what, my back is against the wall. I'm not sure what to do. God, would you give me joy in you? Lord, would it be true of me that who I find in the trial far outweighs the trial itself? Would I look back on this trial even and would I say, you know what, that was time well spent. Not because of the joy of the circumstance, but because of who I found in it. And so I just want to, I just want to ask you to do something here. I just, um, you don't have to throw your hand in the air or anything, but I just, I just want you to turn your hands um, up, your palms up right now, right on your lap there. Just turn them over right now. And I want you just to say this to the Lord, um, just kind of a posture even of, your body's just in a posture now of just kind of receiving. And I want you particularly if your back is against the wall and you're asking those questions, I want you to say to God right now, Lord, I receive you this morning. God, I, I trust you. God, I'm not getting the answer I want, but who you are is so great. And your love for me is better. Your love for me is perfect. And so I know you're saying to me, just trust me. And so, Lord, that's what I do this morning. I receive you and I trust you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, let's stand now and, and let's sing to the Lord.